Well, good morning. Glad you guys are here. For those of you who are joining us online this morning, we are glad that you're joining us. I'm glad that you took some time out of your day um, to set apart to worship with us wherever you are. And for those of you who are here in the room, I'm glad you are joining us here as well. Um, hey, so we are working through the book of Matthew. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew 15. Before we do, just to um, recap what Tana was saying, uh, if you have not done Rooted, we would love for you to get signed up for Rooted. The easiest way to do it, you probably saw it on your screen was to text the word Monmouth as one word to the number 97,000. It'll come back with a little menu and one of them will be information on Rooted. You'll fill that, you'll click there or respond there and it'll take you to more information and how to sign up. It starts a week from Wednesday and uh, we really think that you'll be glad that you, you took the time to, to do it. You can learn more and see more testimonies about it and all that kind of stuff. There. Um, hey, so Matthew 15, uh, we're going to actually kind of reset back to a story that started the month of February for us, because what we're going to look at today is going to be a story that seems very familiar. Seems very familiar, because back in February, we looked at a story we call the feeding of the 5,000, and today we're going to look at a story that we call the feeding of the 4,000. Now, now, there's a lot about these stories that seem so similar, in fact, that there have been some that have tried to contend that um, they're actually the same story. Now, for a lot of reasons, that's, that's a really dumb a theory, not the least of them being that Matthew's writing this book, right? Matthew's writing the story of the Feeding 5,000, and then a chapter later, he writes the feet of the 4,000, and, and, it's, and it's just bonkers to think that Matthew was like confused or forgot, you know, I already told him this story. And there's some really distinct, unique, different points that Matthew details, that Matthew includes in the stories of these different events. Now, if you've been here for a while, one of the things that I talk about often is that it is important for us to look when we're reading text in Scripture, look at the things that it says but also look at the things that it doesn't say. Half of the time, what the scripture writers are trying to tell us, especially through Jesus' life through the Gospels, are the things that are missing. Uh, one of my favorite is um, uh, when John the Baptist is in jail. And, um, uh, and he, he says... Um, uh, he says, you know, he tells John the Baptist to... Um, John, sorry, John the Baptist comes and he asks Jesus, he sends his disciples, Jesus, John the Baptist in jail, he sends his disciples and he says, hey, are you the Messiah? Are you the chosen one? Which, um, first of all, gives us all permission to sometimes wrestle with that question ourselves as John the Baptist can wrestle with that question. And he, and he sends back a message to him and he says, tell him this, tell him that the blind see, that the lame walk, and he lists off some things, but he leaves one thing out from the prophecy he quotes in the book of Isaiah. The one thing that he leaves out in this quote, if you go back and look at Isaiah, the one thing he leaves out is that he sets the captives free. And so what he's telling John, because one of the things John's wrestling with is if I'm in jail and the Messiah is the one who sets the captives free, why am I still in jail? And Jesus is saying to John by what he doesn't say, I am the Messiah, but you're going to die there, right? So half of the time, the things that are really powerful and beautiful are not just the things that are said, but the things that aren't said. And so today, as we move through to get to the feeding of the 4,000, I want to look at the feeding of the 5,000 and compare the two different stories because Matthew thinks 
That there's something that Jesus wants us to know. We talked a couple weeks ago when we talked about the feeding of the 5,000. We like to relegate this story to kids' church and flannel graph. Because it doesn't seem as dynamic and exciting as like, like, like Jesus raising Lazarus. Like that is amazing. And we like talking about that. Jesus healing the woman who had the issue of bleeding just touches the hem of his garment. I mean, that is power, and that is grace, and that is compassion. That's amazing. We love talking about that story. But the feeding the 5,000 is like, well, Jesus gave them lunch. Like, what's the, the big deal? But there's something unique and important about this story. The feeding of the 5,000 is the only story in Jesus' three years of ministry before the cross the only thing in three years of ministry that every single one of the gospel writers thinks is important enough that it had to be included. The gospel writers, the, the, the guys who write the biographies of Jesus in our scriptures, uh, they condense the three years of Jesus' ministry down to anywhere from eight to 18 chapters, depending on how you measure it. And every single one of them says, of all the stories, we have to include the feed in the 5,000. It was for the early church kind of their, their, their mission statement. It was a story that reminded them of who they were and what they were about. They were the people who'd been entrusted with the bread of life in Jesus, and they were to be the people who fed hungry and weary and tired people physically and spiritually with the goodness of God. It was central to who they were and what it meant to be the people of God. And so you know the story. Jesus, we, we've got a map. Let me, let me show you this map because uh, geography is going to matter in this story uh, here. Uh, I know if you're sitting on the sides, you won't be able to see me pointing, but hopefully you can see well enough in the map. Uh, and online, hopefully you can see this. is, is right down here. Okay, um, Here's Jerusalem. All the way down here at the very bottom is Jerusalem. And, and a little bit south of Jerusalem is Bethlehem. That's where Jesus was born. Okay. Now, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but if you remember the story, he was born, and then they fled to Egypt, and then he came back, and his family settled in Nazareth. Now, Nazareth is way up here. Um, if you're looking at the side, there's a Sea of Galilee, the blue circle, kind of in the top middle. It's, uh, what is that? West by Southwest. There you go. See my geography there? West by Southwest is Nazareth. And a lot of Jesus's ministry happens up here in this kind of light brown area in what's called Galilee, right? Now, Jesus feeds the 5,000 at this spot right here. It's called Bethsaida. It's right on the top of the Sea of Galilee. There's a line that goes straight up from the Sea of Galilee. That's a river, okay? And the historic land of the 12 tribes of Israel is on this side. It's all this stuff over here. Now, some of this down here, but we won't get it. It's all on this side, okay? So, so, so where Jesus feeds the 5,000 is not historically part of the nation of Israel. It's not part of the formal tribes, but what had happened over several hundred years as they had conquerors come in and they redrew brownies is, is, you know, people built their houses on one side of the river and then a new conqueror came in and so they built their houses on the other side of the river. And so this town, Bethsaida, even though it's not in official Israel territory, it's not even officially in Galilee, it was a very Jewish town. Right? It's, it's, kind of like, it's kind of like living in Vancouver, right? You live in Vancouver, you probably still root for the Blazers, you probably still work for Nike, but you're not really in Oregon, right? I mean, it, I mean you're a lot more Oregonian than someone from Spokane. Those people are, are weird. If you've ever met somebody from Spokane, that is like, 
They're more Idaho than they are Washington, right? Um, but it's kind of like living in Vancouver. Like they're, they're, they're really a part of, they're really part of that community. They're really part of the Jewish community. And so Jesus, when he goes to feed the 5,000 people, he's here in Bethsaida teaching, um, uh, healing. This is the same way that the story of the feed the 4,000 starts. He's teaching and he's healing. And then you know the story. They're there for a couple hours and the disciples come to Jesus and they, and they say, Jesus, you have to send these people away. They need to eat. Right? Now, 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 hear the concern in their voice. Because they know of all the people, right? There's 5,000 men. There's probably 10 to 20,000 people in this area. Of all the people, there is one person who has the voice and the authority to tell these people to go feed themselves. To, to, to go feed themselves. Because otherwise, the people are just going to stay there. And they're going to get tired. They're going to get weary. And they're going to get hungry. And then by the time they get hungry, all the food's going to be sold out. Chick-fil-A is going to be closed because it's going to be Sunday. And they're not going to have anywhere to go. And then they're going to have to hike all the way to Burger King and eat Burger King. Right? And, like, that's not the goodness of God. You know, Chick-fil-A is life and goodness of God. And Burger King is Hades. Okay? So... Um, it's not quite hell, but it's kind of, you know, under, anyways. Um, uh, so, so, so they come to Jesus and they see because Jesus is here, right? This is important. You, you got to understand the context to understand what Matthew wants to see. Jesus is here in a pseudo Jewish community, very Jewish community. And there's 5,000, and, and I mean, he's in this community. How many do you think just came pouring over from the traditional Jewish community over here? And Jesus is here. He, he turns to the disciples and he says, um, you feed them. <laughs> they, I mean, you got you to imagine, at least like Peter. Peter has a hard time keeping his foot out of his mouth. Peter had to like have laughed at Jesus, right? He's like, Peter, you feed him. <laughs> oh, oh, you're serious. This is awkward, Right? So then one of the disciples is like, uh, hey, uh, I saw some kid go behind the bleachers. I'm going to go steal his lunch. You guys wait here, right? And he goes back and he goes like mugs like some little kid. And I mean, you look at it, the story of John. It doesn't quite say those details, but that's my paraphrase version. Because they come back to him, right? And they come back to Jesus. They go, uh, we don't have anything, but we took this kid's lunch. And here's his lunch, five loaves of two fish. Right? And Jesus takes it, he breaks it, he passes it amongst his disciples, and, and they pass it out and, and feed everybody. And it says at the end, it says the same thing in the end of feeding the 5,000 as it does in the end of the feeding the 4,000, that they were satisfied. But in the end of the feeding the 5,000, it says that there were 12 basketfuls left over. 12 basketfuls. They come with five loaves and two fish, and they leave with 12 baskets. Like, that's just the goodness of God right there. They come with somebody else's lunch and they leave with a feast. And so then Jesus leaves that area and he goes with them. We looked at this two weeks ago. He goes with them from Bethsaida, this area right up here, and he goes to Tyre and Sidon. Now they're not on the map, but Tyre's kind of like right up here and Sidon's up here. Uh, sorry, Sidon's here, Tyre's up here, okay? They're, they're, they're way, they're way out of Israel's land. They're way out of the historic land of Israel. They are pagan. They're atheist, not atheist, they're polytheistic. They are demon worshipers, according to the Jews. They, they, they are so far from anything Jewish. And, and Jesus is just, you know, enjoying a vacation up at the beach. And this woman comes. And this woman comes, and she's a Canaanite woman. That's all we know about her. We talked about it two weeks ago. She, she comes pleading on behalf of her daughter. And, and Jesus basically said, the conversation Jesus has with her is, first of all, the disciples go, Jesus, just tell her to go away. 
It's not that compassion. It's like, Jesus, she's bothering us. Tell her to go away. And Jesus says to her, oh, well, he says to the disciples, he says, you know, I, I came, like, what, what, what do I have to do with you? I'm the Jewish Messiah. What do I have to do with you? Right? And, and she says, she says this really great, beautiful, humble, amazing thing. She says, she says Jesus, um, even dogs eat from the crumbs that fall off the table. Just give me crumbs. Now, now, now see the arc of the story. A lot of times we lose the momentum of the story because we, we take little snippets and we grab little snippets and we do, you know, we read like today. We read a couple verses and then we wait a week and we read a couple verses. And then we read a couple verses. And maybe for you, you know, it's a day or two or a month or two or every 12 years you read your Bible and you miss the flow of what's going on. Listen to what she just said. Jesus, your table has so much food on it. Just let me, just let me eat the crumbs that fall off the table. Be in that room for a moment. The disciples come walking into the village after Jesus has fed 10 to 20,000 people. There is no lack of bread in the kingdom of God, right? No lack of bread. There is abundance everywhere. They come walking into town with 12 baskets of bread and fish. And they sit down and this woman comes pleading with Jesus, just let me have crumbs. And Jesus says to her, he says, You're, you have mega faith. You have great faith. You have the greatest, some of the greatest faith I've seen. You're not gonna have crumbs. Come sit at the table and feast. There are, there are no people in the kingdom of God who eat crumbs. There's a feast. And she, her daughter, who nobody cared about, nobody culturally would have any reason to care about her, God shows compassion on her and her daughter, and she's healed. It, this crazy, crazy, awesome faith of this woman, God gives her a seat at the table to feast in abundance. Okay, so Jesus offers a feast to the Jewish people. He goes up to this region that is not Jewish at all, and this woman comes and says, just, there's so much falling off the table, just let me have crumbs. And he says, no, 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 you don't get a crumbs, you get a feast. And then he takes them and he brings them back down here to a place called the Decapolis. Now, Decapolis is an interesting place historically. The Decapolis was established by the Greeks, right, as they were trying to go out and conquer, and they came up with this really great strategy, okay? Um, it literally means Deca is 10, Paulus is cities, and so it's 10 cities. It's the region of the 10 cities. Um, the, the, the Greeks had this really great idea, is there were certain places, if you're a strate military strategist, there are certain places that are not worth the fight, right? The resistance is just too dug in. It's too hard. It's not worth trying to conquer that land. Um, there's not enough in that land that's worth fighting for. You know, I mean, if there's gold in every paved street, then yeah, you, you give whatever you got to get to get that region. But, but Israel was one of those places where there just wasn't enough of an advantage. There wasn't enough stuff <clears throat> to sacrifice. And Israel, if you know anything about Israel's history, they are fierce defenders of their land, right? I mean, they, they fight and they fight. And so what Gr Greece would do is they would create these buffer zones, right? And the Decapolis is one of them. They had a buffer zone up north here. And then you've got these bodies of water in the river. And the Decapolis was to be a buffer here. And this all over here was the Greek empire, okay? And what they would do is they would say to these 10 cities, hey, you know what? We could wipe you from the face of this planet, right? You guys are nothing. You're 10 cities. We'll, we'll destroy you. But here's what we'll do. You guys just pay us taxes, and then you guys do whatever you want, right? Because what comes with self-governance, which is what the Decapolis got, was self-defense. 
And so these people would fight their, for their own land. They wouldn't fight as conquered people who were having to defend somebody else's empire. They would fight to defend themselves. And so it would create this little buffer zone between Israel, who was formidable and aggressive and defensive, to the Greek empire. And then they could take all their army and they would go over here and they wouldn't have to worry about what was going on here. And so think about this. For hundreds of years, there was this war constantly brewing right here. And Jesus takes them from the land of the Jews to this region to go meet this woman of mega faith and offer her a seat at the table. And then he comes back down. And, and I love this because Jesus, Jesus just like, sometimes Jesus just has to smack us in the face with stuff. Jesus walks them through the exact land where he fed the 5,000 before this moment. And he leads them down in the Decapolis. Now, now, for most of these disciples, for most of the followers, this was enemy territory. I mean, Matthew, who's writing uh, this passage that we're looking at, Matthew probably didn't mind because Matthew was a tax collector. Matthew was a traitor to his own people. Matthew probably liked for a moment getting out of the scorn of not being the talk of the village. Every time they'd come in, there'd be Jesus, who was this great Messiah, this prophet that was coming in, and, and then they'd see Matthew and they'd be like, oh, Matthew, right? He, he probably didn't mind, but, but, but do you know Simon? Not Simon Peter, there's another Simon. Simon had a nickname. Simon's nickname was this, Simon the Zealot. Simon the Zealot. And, and it wasn't like zealous. Like, like he was just really excited about everything. It wasn't like, Simon, the really passionate guy, right? It was actually an allegiance to a political movement. And, and every culture has these. Simon the Zealot, he made an oath that he would murder at the request of people higher up than him, anybody who had an allegiance to the Roman Empire. And more than that, he thought that God would honor him for killing people who were associated with the Roman Empire, like, like Matthew. Think of some awkward walks, right? Simon the Zealot, who Matthew knows, has made a sworn, test, a sworn commitment to kill all allies of the Roman Empire. And Matthew's walking, and, and Simon's back there just sharpening his shank. Right? But don't worry, just make sure we don't run into trouble. And they come in. Jesus leads all this ragamuffin band into the Decapolis, into enemy territory. And then he begins to do the same exact thing he did up here. He begins to teach, and he begins to heal. He begins to teach and he begins to heal and crowds gather and crowds gather and crowds gather. And then look at this. Look, 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 at, look at verse 15, Matthew 15, verse 32. Uh, look what it says here. Matthew 15, verse 32, it says this. Now Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I feel compassion the word there is literally an aching in his gut for the people because they have remained with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. Remember back to the feeding 5,000. How long did it take before the disciples started looking at the crowds going, hey, Jesus, you got to do something. Jesus, you got to send them away. They got, they got to go eat. These people are going to pass out. They're going to get sick. They're going to get tired. They're going to get angry. They're going to get violent. Whatever they're going to do, you got to send them away so they can go eat. Jesus leaves them in enemy territory, and after three days, the disciples sitting, remember, 12 baskets full of bread and fish, sitting, munching away on their leftovers, watching a hungry crowd chase after Jesus. Here's the thing. I don't think the disciples didn't notice. 
I don't think the disciples were so short-sighted or so ignorant that they looked around this crowd and thought, well, I mean, I guess they probably all have a food supply chain. You know, maybe there's somebody's trucking in stuff from over on the other side, and they're bringing in food for all these people. Maybe there's banquets going on somewhere else. We just don't see it. I think the disciples saw it. They saw the hungry people in front of them. They just didn't care. They just didn't care. Sometimes, sometimes it's hard for us to feel compassion, to feel the aching until we've experienced the same brokenness ourselves. And the disciples look at a bunch of people who aren't theirs, who aren't their people, and you know what they probably thought? You know, let's be honest, right? This would, they probably thought, well, I mean, they should have come prepared. I mean, they should have at least thought to pack something. I mean, if they're out here hungry, that's what they deserve, right? I mean, they should have come more prepared. They're coming out to meet somebody. There's thousands of people. They think we're going to feed them. They think we can do anything about it. I mean, if they're hungry, I can't do anything about it. They should, you know, they should have done their work. They should have done their homework. They should have brought up a sack lunch with them. They saw, they saw the hungry in front of them and they just didn't care. I wonder, I wonder who God's put in front of you and you see their brokenness and you see their cries and you see their hurt and you see their lacking and you see the hungry crowds in front of you and you just don't care. You just don't care. Jesus, Jesus gets fed up with them not caring And then he's going to force them to do something about it. He says the same thing in verse 33, uh, no, verse 34, that he said to them at the feet of the 5,000. Jesus said to them, well, how many loaves do you have? And they said, read this, feel the context, feel the sediment of what they say in this. Seven and a few small fish. You remember the feet of the 5,000, right? Andrew's willing to go mug a little kid to bring something to Jesus, right? Jesus, five loaves and two fish, I I got him, I got him. Here, look, 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 Jesus, I voluntold this kid. He's gonna give you his lunch. They're willing to, to scavenger around the people to find anything to bring to Jesus to feed their people. But when they stand in enemy territory with hungry Hungry masses in front of them. They see him, they just don't care. But I mean, look at, look at the response. It sounds like a 12-year-old boy throwing a hissy fit. You ever had that conversation with a kid? Right? Well, hey, um, how, how, how much of your clothes are on the ground? Lots. Do you think there should be none? Fine. What are, what are you talking about? Like, pick up your clothes. Look, look, look at what he said. How many do you have? Seven? They don't, okay, here's the deal, okay? Um, they don't even take the time to count how many fish they have. Well, look, look at Seven. And some fish. That stuff. My son's four years old. He loves to count, right? He just does it as a hobby. Maybe one day he'll grow out of it or he'll just be a math genius, right? He just, he loves to count, they can't even express the energy to give Jesus an accurate report of how many fish they have because they just don't care. They just don't care. Seven loaves and a few fish. 
It made me wonder, I had this thought while I was looking at the story. Where do you, where do you think they got these? Like in the, in the other story we know, John tells us that, that you know, they jacked them from some, some second grader. And, and um, Jesus used their crime to bless thousands of people, right? In this story, where'd they get seven loaves and a few small fish? You remember? Matthew wants us to see this in arc. It's all connected. Just one chapter before. They took what was not theirs and they gave it to Jesus. Jesus blessed it and gave it to them and they became a conduit to feed thousands of people. And Jesus took what was not theirs and sent them away with 12 basketfuls. And for the last week or two, they've been eating leftovers from God's abundance and they find themselves in front of a hungry mass eating the crumbs that are left over. God had blessed them in a miraculous and amazing and incredible way. They got to be the hand. They, 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 they didn't just read about it. They didn't just eat it. They didn't just uh, hear about the story. The disciples were the 12 guys who took those pieces of bread and handed them to family after family and handed the food to family after family. And then they connected them all up and they looked around and they're like, what are we going to do with 12 baskets? The bread, we got to haul this stuff around. Everywhere. I mean, you know, all this everywhere. They get in a boat and they haul all 12 baskets and they're munching on the leftovers telling the stories of, dude, did you see, did you see what Jesus did? did you, look, 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 12 baskets, there's more. And they go up to this place in Tyre and Sidon. And this woman just wants crumbs while they sit in the corner eating leftovers of 12 baskets. They go down into enemy territory, eating the leftovers of 12 baskets with 4,000 plus people hungry in front of them, and they sit back at a distance and eat the leftovers of God's abundance and goodness. See, God's blessing and God's goodness was never meant to end with you. You were blessed to be a blessing, Scripture says. That God has done, I mean, this, this is the gospel. That, that God takes what is not ours to, to be a blessing and, and, and to bring life and to freedom and to provide an abundance to us. And I could just hear the disciples. Well, I mean, you know, they're hungry because they weren't prepared. They're hungry because they didn't do anything about it. They're hungry because they, you know, if they just hadn't been out there running around not caring, they get exactly what they deserve. Can, can I just tell you? Can I just tell you? That is probably the dumbest thing any follower of Jesus could ever say. They got exactly what they deserved. When we stand with such a posture, they got what they deserve, it shows in us that we have such a shallow or completely incomplete understanding of what the gospel is because the good news of the gospel is that we get what we didn't deserve. We didn't earn it. We didn't get it. That God's goodness and his graciousness, the 12 baskets of bread, it wasn't because of the hard work of the disciples. It wasn't because their strategy in distributing food. And Jesus was like, well, that's really impressive that you guys did really great managing. It was because of God's goodness and abundance overflowing. 
He wanted them to see the people in front of him hungry and to see the baskets he provided and turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, if you could feed 5,000 with two loaves and, and, and five loaves and two fish, we got baskets. Like, where are we going next? Who are we feeding next? But they missed it. They missed it. They didn't miss seeing the hungry. They just missed caring. Wonder who it is in front of you. I bet you know. The hurting they get. Like, like let's be honest. Th- those people, those, those people, those people that um, when their life falls apart, when there's pain, when there's sorrow, when there's aching, when there's brokenness, when their life just seems to explode and sometimes even very publicly, there, there's a little um, celebration that begins to kick off in your heart. Right? I mean, you know those people. You see, you see the problem with uh, what God wants to do, the, the obstacle for us in serving and being gracious and being kind and using what God has given us to be a blessing, that we've been blessed to be a blessing, is that a lot of times those hungry people in front of us come in the shape of that, that jerk at work. Or, or, or the, the parent or couple uh, that's on your, that has a kid on your kid's sports team and they're a little too tightly wound. Or, or, or the unaffectionate spouse, or the neighbor who is a jerk and crabby all the time. See, God has placed people in front of you so that you might be a conduit of his grace and mercy. What Jesus is trying to get the disciples to see is the gospel in action. He took the disciples and he led them down into enemy territory. This is what scripture says, that we were, um, that, that God sent his son while we were still enemies with God. This is the good news of the gospel, that Jesus came after us. He came into enemy territory to come after us when we were hungry and broken and afraid and tired and weary, that we might find an abundance of the bread of life, of freedom and hope. And now he's inviting you. He's inviting you to be a conduit of that grace too. So the question is, who is it in front of you? Who's the hungry? What's he entrusted you with? Uh, Seth and Megan Halligan are, are very dear friends of uh, my wife and I, and, and, and they're at this church. They, they've, between the two of them, they've been missionaries for many years, and, and they're stateside right now. And uh, I don't even remember what the context was, but um, I remember the punchline. And, and, and Seth told me this one time. He said, he said, never rob them. We were talking about cross-cultural things. Never rob them of the blessing of being a blessing. And a lot of times we wonder why we don't see God move and do miracles and amazing things. And I wonder if it's because we've robbed ourselves of the blessing of being the blessing. That God has entrusted us with baskets fulls of the bread of life. And we see the hunger in front of us, we just don't care. So the question for you today, the question that Jesus wants us to wrestle with, the question that Matthew wants us to see is not only God's goodness and his graciousness and his kindness to you that he came after you in enemy territory to bring you the bread of life and to bring you freedom and to bring you hope and to bring you restoration and grace and mercy and forgiveness and a future and purpose and reconciliation. But he has placed 
those things in your hands as well, that you might be a blessing, that you might be goodness and grace and mercy to a broken and starving and hungry and weary world. So the question for you today is who is it that sits in front of you that God has called you to be a blessing to?